uh, our scripture reading will be coming from Acts, uh, Acts 24, uh, first reading, Acts 24 through 27. <clears throat> it reads as such. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given, would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Acts 26, one through eight. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you, listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is this thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Acts 26, 19 through 29. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea, and also to Gentiles, that they would repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to great and small, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim both light, both to our people and to the Gentiles. And, and he was saying these things in his defense. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And King Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all and all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these trains. May God add a blessing to his red word. Good morning, Christ Central. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here. And um, <clears throat> thank you, Jermaine. He's in the military, so we had him kind of lead us this morning. I don't know if you could tell in his voice, um, but when he reads the word, it's like 
you have to obey. Um, yeah, he just has that feeling. You know what I mean? He's kind of a quiet guy most of the time, and you talk to him, he's pretty easygoing. But, you know, at one, he never really tells us exactly what he does. You were on that thing that went over there to... Whatever you say, Pastor. Doggone born identity over there. Um, but he definitely, he, took, he, he said something about taking pieces of very expensive equipment across the desert and all. And I guess you don't have time to reason with the soldiers about what they need to do. You just have to say, let's do it. Yeah, okay, got you. Um, I wasn't cut out for the military. Um, even if I weren't, they would make me, right? My hair is a little, I can't wear this, sorry. We continue our sermon series in the book of Acts. And um, just to remind you again, we do have that learning community on Acts on Sunday mornings. Um, Please feel free to be a part of that. That's going to begin June 17th um, and and led by Michael Hughes, who's over there. And um, was that Lisa that raised her hand? Hi, Lisa. That's Michael's wife. Um, But uh, please come to that class. There's so much. We've skipped um, the reading. See, we're covering like four chapters today, but I thought that would be a little bit of a long reading. So definitely go through the class so you can learn more about it, and it'll go through slower. Um, Anyway, as we continue in this book, we have this week and next week, and that's it. We turn to this chapter, some of us, especially those like me, my generation or older, and even more so those of us who grew up like I did in the Bible Belt, have been really deceived. Many of us have been lulled and maybe fooled into thinking and living like Christianity is the apple pie and mint julep of religion. Yet if Acts is a clear depiction of the beginning and continuing and foundation, foundational nature of Christianity, then it should be and is more like the pufferfish sushi and ever clear of the faith. It is dangerously rebel. It is curious to the spiritual palate, but it is not nice or safe or easy for it but it's an amazingly good and redeeming jagged little pill for our sin sickness, which makes it a hard religion to live raw in, to live out loud by, to trust, to act right and behave and not be a pariah or or, or crazy in public conversations, whether they're uh, formal or when you're just kicking it. You just want the faith to chill. But it does not cool because Christianity, the faith of the Bible of the Lord Jesus Christ is rebel religion, rebel because it is privately owned, but publicly shared, privately owned, but publicly shared. So to give you some background and backfill and infill for what we read today. 
The Apostle Paul goes to Jerusalem after being in Asia for a while, and against the better judgment of the leaders in Asia who get visions and prophecies and common sense from God that the Jews will get him, Paul goes anyway. It's like Obama headed, decides to go to Iraq or Pakistan without secret service. Doesn't make sense. So it happens. The Jews plot to kill him, and he, being a Roman citizen, appeals to the protection rights of Rome, and the Roman authorities, led by Felix at the time, chapter 24, to please the Jews and protect their own law, keep Paul from being assassinated by the Jews by putting him under house arrest where he is for two years to await trial. And Paul kept climbing the court levels, going from local to federal, and now possibly headed to the Supreme Court in Rome before Caesar. What we have here is Paul making a stop in the court and custody of a local governor, Festus, who invites King Agrippa, Agrippa, the figurehead king leader over Jerusalem area, who was familiar with the Jewish customs to come and hear Paul's case. And Paul, the figurehead of the Christian faith at this time, like a rebel in chains, he epitomizes and explains what makes this faith so renegade. The gospel, surprise, is privately owned. It is loyal to the scriptures and the lordship and ministry of Jesus Christ alone. So there are two groups dealing with this movement of Christianity called the way in their worlds. The Jews who want him killed and the Romans who want him managed away. And when Paul defends the faith, he explains that he is only doing and being and talking according to what the scriptures or what God himself instructed him to do. Look with me at verse 2. In chapter 26, I consider myself fortunate uh, that, is, that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from, beginning, from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of, the, of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O King. And then later he tells, and this part's not in your, your reading, about the, he tells about the vision he had and Jesus meeting him on the way and talking to him and how he got converted and how Jesus gave him his mission. And he says this in verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, Jesus talking to him, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For, for this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and then Gentiles. And then in verse 27, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. By doing this, Paul is declaring that this thing, this teaching and preaching and theology I'm doing is not about or from them or me or you. 
It is the privately owned. That's belonging. That's put in quotes. Some of you have it in red in your New Testament Bibles. These are God's own words to me to give to you, to be his words for your hearing and doing and believing. But they are not my words. I am only being obedient as a rep of, the, of God whose words these belong to. And I am called to reason and live and act on. Paul is saying that the gospel is loyal to the scriptures because it is born out of the words belonging to the private mind of God that he has chosen to share with us. And I won't let you or myself or anyone else or any public, uh, uh, public thing accuse or push or manipulate the gospel of being anything but what it is written and given from the mouth of God in the Bible to be. But not only is the gospel loyal to the scriptures by extension it is loyal to the ministry and lordship of jesus christ jesus said when he was on earth that he didn't come to destroy or or disobey or be disloyal to the scriptures that came before he came to earth in the flesh that 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 would be like going against his own words but he came to be the one those scriptures we're talking about and pointing to that Jesus is loyal to his own words and the gospel is then loyal to what then? To him and his ministry to us as the Lord and Savior of mankind. That the gospel, the stuff we talk about at church, is only loyal to Jesus being who he in the Bible says that he is and the two cannot be separated. Look again at what Paul says here in verse 6 and 7. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our tribes hope to attain and the earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Gentiles. What hope and promise? The coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death and resurrection. And then later in verse 27, again, I read this again. King Agrippa, do you not believe? Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Now, Agrippa doesn't have the New Testament. He don't have the Gospels in the, in the New Testament books that Paul wrote. But he has the Old Testament scriptures, and he is saying and explaining, hey, look, do you believe what the prophets have written? In other words, do you know what the scriptures are talking about? The ministry and lordship of Jesus Christ. And Agrippa gets what he is leading to and what the scriptures are leading him to. And he says, in this short period, are you hoping to convert me to Christianity? What is this thing about? The ministry and lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what resurrection, coming judgment would imply when he's talking to Festus. Jesus is Lord. You need him to pardon you. You need to bow down and seek him for salvation as he's offered according to the scriptures and to what the Bible says and teaches. Understand this about Christianity and the gospel then. It will never be owned and belonging and originating or overseen, or managed by anyone other than the Lord, by his words in the Bible, and true and fulfilled by one, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a private faith in that way. It has private interests that are not controlled or determined or changed or reset in goals by anyone who is not the Lord and what is not the word of God in this Bible. It is true. And I felt and experienced this rebel feeling when someone says, well, what do you think about this, Pastor Brown? 
well, I'm in the barbershop or something. I hadn't gone a few days for my boys. What do you think about this? Well, and I hate it. It's kind of hard. Well, in the Bible, and I've heard it, oh, Lord, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. You want to get into a good fight with your husband or a wife? Well, baby, you know the Bible says, oh, Lord, the Bible. That's because you use it in the wrong way. I, I know how that works. I went to seminary. The Bible says, Kelly, you need to. Sometimes I use it wrong, too. Or, you know, well, Jesus, here we go, always about Jesus. Here we dropping Jesus' name. And it just makes it hard. You don't want to talk about Jesus at the cookout or the picnic on Monday. If you want to mess things up and someone asks your opinion on something, talk about the Bible or Jesus. Can't Christianity be about something else than the Bible and Jesus? No, it can't. It don't transfer like that. You got to sign up to follow it. It doesn't follow you, though God is with you in it. The gospel's not for sale. It's funny here. He kept Paul and kept talking to Paul, hoping Paul would pay him like the man had bank. Felix tried to buy it. It is not to be taken and controlled and used in verses taken and images displayed for political reasons. I'm tired of watching these commercials with the Bible floating by. With the flag waving in the back. Look like a Bible no one ever opened either. Looks nice and clean. Vote for this. It is the foundation. Flag waving. Give it to me real, man. You just want to be elected. Come on. Felix, Festus, and King Agrippa tried to find a way for it to come all politically peaceful. And they realized this brother Paul is all about the Bible and Jesus and not just part of the Bible and part of what Jesus said. If he would only drop the resurrection part, it'll be okay. You know, the gospel will belong to no one's authority or control again except the Lord who spoke and had his words written, which is good news. Because people get in, when people get involved in it, we make it messy, don't we? What if the Bible, God was like, here's the Bible, do what you want with it. Oh, my goodness, you see what happens with it. What saw the Avengers movie yesterday, right? I'm not going to spoil it for any of y'all. But they got this cube with all this power. Cube came from out of space. Amanda, you wanted to see the Avengers? You don't want me to mess it up for you? Is that why you're leaving? She's trying to avoid the spoiler. That's what it is. This is a community church, y'all. You know, I'm just... I don't know how it comes out online when you're listening to it. But I was watching Avengers, and so they have this cube from out of space with all this power never known on Earth before. Well, you know what's going to happen if human beings get their hands on something from the sky. We're going to make a weapon out of it. We're going to make some money off of it. We're going to kill ourselves in the process and welcome all these evil people to around it, and we're going to end up dying in the end unless we get some superhero to come and save us. There's one part of the movie with Thor, he's a, he's a god, demigod. It's kind of strange. He's like, y'all, you humans, y'all don't need this cube. Let me take it back to where it needs to be because y'all going to mess it up. I'm so glad that Jesus in, is in control of the scriptures. And we don't have to guess what its goal is about. You might not like it, but that is what it's about. 
And it makes it easy. So somebody like me, I mean, Pastor Giorgio and I, we'd be in the office talking some crazy stuff. You know when Paul talks to Festus and Drusilla and he's talking about the final judgment? I'm like, hey, man, Pastor Giorgio, today I feel like we need to let up on the final judgment day. Jesus ain't going to judge us, man. You know, he's going to pour one for the homies and let everybody in. As if pouring his blood's not enough, right? Like, he's going to let everybody in. I know it. And I'm trying to reason, and I'm telling him about it. I mean, I am passionate. Don't you know? All the people. You know, got Eleanor Rigby playing in my, you know, behind soundtrack. And Giorgio says, if we're in the Bible, if we're only in the Bible, if the Bible, like, maybe it ain't in there, but we can't believe anything beyond it, and we can't even believe anything beyond it. I mean, that, yeah, we have to believe everything it says, and we can't believe anything more or put our hope in anything more that isn't written there. Oh, why? Because it's the Bible, and it don't belong to me. Heck, take it from me, Pastor. It is not even loyal to the comfort and consideration of believers. Don't let believers fool you. Those of us who follow Jesus, he is not loyal to our desires, time-wise or happiness-wise, or what we think it should be or should do for, for it to be acceptable. Believers, go ahead, tell the world the gospel is not even loyal to your little whims. It is loyal to the Lord who promises to be good to and for you. The gospel is not loyal to our reputations and potential ideals or good plans or how we think the world should go and be of our grand church plans even. It is not loyal to the financial prosperity and wealth and perfect families and to having no problems and hardships. It's hard to believe because we look at Leaders in the church, we look at the church, and, and, and in some sense, yes, we're carriers of this great truth, but the real sense, it is above us. Our ministry visions and ideas and thoughts and taking over the world by this year and planting this many churches by this date, those are great things that the gospel drives us, but we can't make the word say something or Jesus do something that he doesn't necessarily say or doesn't want to do providentially. It doesn't make him not the Lord, or it doesn't make you not having enough faith is why it didn't happen. He is the Lord. I mean, Paul, the top gun Christian here. I mean, God should be happy to make him happy. He's under house arrest for two years because of Jesus and the Bible. He is in chains and is the court jester and monkey and political and theological tool of the Jews and the Romans. He could be killed at any moment. I mean, the Bible tells us that there are Jews who promise not to eat for days until Paul is dead. They fasted before the Lord. Talking about, hey, um, there's a little bit more information we need to get from Paul. Could y'all bring him down? We just need to ask him a couple more questions because they sitting and waiting, going to bum rush the brother and kill him. Making vows. I mean, this person, I mean, he is, you know, he is, uh, can be killed. He is under the control of God's private, at this point, own plans for him. And Paul's issues just make it harder for the Christians outside of these proceedings, I'm sure. He is just making it tough for everybody. All for the Bible and Jesus. 
knows the gospel is not even loyal to the peace or just us getting along with everybody. Yes, it says love God and love your neighbor, but the word of Jesus will not forsake itself for some human author ideal that seeks to edit and abridge the faith for some personally or publicly accepted idea of peace and love and getting along. The gospel will not put the neighbor above the word. Letting the love of neighbor determine whether it's right or wrong or not. And at the same time, I won't let you be right on an issue that gives you a right not to love your neighbor sacrificially as the word calls you to. And there can't be a reshaping of stuff like whether Jesus might be the Lord God in the flesh and whether he lived or died or rose again. We can't change the fact that he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Why do he have to say thee? Why couldn't he say one of? I mean, I can't give you that, man. I can't do it for you, partner. I can't do it. It's not mine or any other believers to lose or give away. You and I can't forge or change the author of the faith's intent. That is his. It is private. I mean, let me tell you, man, I've seen some Van Gogh. We can straighten out some lines in some of Van Gogh's stuff. The eye too big, make it smaller. Right? Why, don't, why can't I go straighten out some of Da Vinci's stuff, man? Jesus too light-skinned in some of them things. We can't fix it. You mean they're going to put me in jail if I go over there and try to fix it? It looked crooked to me, man. You ever look at some of that art? You're like, this piece of art sold for $2 million. Man, that thing looked bad. Kelly and I went to this Baltimore art show, and they had some installations in there. You have to walk through stuff, and isn't this beautiful? No, man, a blue sink, not beautiful to me. And people, oh, this is so nice, drinking their wine and all. I'm like, man, please. Everybody know a sink is white? Somebody ain't got a sink to wash their hands because it's on the wall. A $2 million sink? Good Lord, y'all crazy. The Bible and Jesus better used for other things as well. So guess what? The gospel itself will never be mainstream if it is the gospel, though believers themselves might be mainstream. If the gospel is loyal to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ revealed and explained and embellished and narrated by the word of God. Now, it may ride on the same track for a while with the culture. But it will diverge in exit at some point, maybe at the divinity and lordship and message and ministry of Jesus in the scriptures, of faith in Christ alone, of grace alone, of Christ alone, of scriptures alone. But what is so confusing, if I were part of a private-owned religion, I would be sure to not make that clear to the world, and I would be very secretive of my private beliefs. But the gospel is rebel in that it is a privately owned but publicly shared religion, which automatically puts it out there for the criticism of the world. So Paul goes on talking about the faith. Verse 27 again, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He goes on and talks about his testimony and gives all the stuff of Jesus and God and all the gospel stuff. I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me in this day might become such as I am, except 
for these changes. I mean, Paul just puts it all out in the open when, when, what he believes and that he hopes by telling them that they'll believe it too. And all those who hear it in the court with them, that he was put here in that place the way he was to let the world see and know what they have no control over or say so in the thing that will save them. I mean, do you know what it means to ask the world to repent? Or to talk about repentance? It means to ask people to own that God, the Bible says they're wrong or missed it and will never perfectly get life and then come and let the Lord and the Word run their lives as if they are too broken to run it for themselves. To hope beyond their fake versions of hope for help for their helpless ways. He is asking a king right now to give up his kingdom. Or see his kingdom as small k. He's asking a pro-council. He is asking somebody who decides the fate of a whole region, who has to be right with every statement. You are not righteous. You need a bigger counselor than yourself. Let me level with you. The Bible and Jesus have a whole lot to say and do about a whole lot to and for a whole lot of people. Hope you can figure that out. Got something to say about everything. Always call it everything. What if I do this over here? Boy, the Bible, Jesus got something to do with that. Well, what about this? Oh, man, come on. Is there one part of any life or any part of this life that the gospel cannot touch or change or love or redeem? No. And that opens it to be assessed and sized up and criticized and discussed to see how it fits in your life. Because the gospel automatically in its simple and nicest and soft way of talking about it, even if you communicate it as a personal thing, it tries to fit in and go in. It's like a bad kid you take to somebody's house and you tell them not to touch nothing, they're going to touch something. It is nosy. It's a ubiquitous liquid and gaseous religion. It leaks and it seeps and it lingers and it's often silent but offensive. You know why? Because it communicates human need for help. And it doesn't talk about, well, I needed it only. No, you're talking about God, a cosmic thing that's happened. And, and because believers live in this world, when they talk about it or people see how they live, it just goes everywhere. It's like spilling your drink with sugar in it. Easy to clean up a Diet Coke, not a real Coke. That thing's sticky. Thus, the faith gets criticized and gets intense reactions at times because it is a critical faith itself. Why? Because it is lived and shared as if things in you, in your life, in your world, and the world is in critical condition. In verse 25, back in chapter 24, and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. I can't let you just free fall, free, you know, spit all the stuff out. I'm not going to let that happen. With my wife, please, she's about to get saved. No way. It treats and talks about the human condition as if we were on the edge of eternal life or death. And you and I live it as if, it, if the gospel is critical. And you and I live as if it's critical to our lives and our sense of worth, and that makes the world criticize it. I mean, Paul, 
Look at Paul. His discussion here is about, it's not about how he can get out earlier. Mine would be, hey, Felix, God loves you, brother. Don't hold me in jail no more. I got to go home. He's not trying to get out earlier or free or whether he can work out a deal. But a critical, I needed this, and this is important to you know, and I live now message. Look at this in, in verse 24 and, and 26 as he was saying these things in his defense. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me. Now, he ain't going small time. I just worried about you, Agrippa. We're just going to go in a corner and pray. No. Let me tell you what the Lord wants, right? What me, not only you, but everybody who hears it, man, man, kind of magnanimous or something, right? He's trying to take over the place, right? And he's like, you, I hope that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chairs. Paul's saying what? I don't care what you think, Agrippa, about me. I want you to get out of the critical condition of being enslaved by sin and brokenness. And people will criticize the sheer intensity and widespread, you know, way believers live and see the gospel applied. God calls believers to live not privately, but in the mainstream. We don't live in a commune or behind a fence or want our own state or on city, but we do some of the same things, same jobs as other people, live in the same neighborhood, do the same things vocationally, even socially. We all go to the same pool. They are publicly spreading the gospel on all they do in the manner and even inner private motivations that end up seeping out. I've been around some of you super Christians. Some of y'all, we Presbyterians, so. Some of y'all can't even drink a beer as a believer in a brewery without thinking, oh, the Lord has made some nice hops, hasn't he? And given some general revelation for this to be made very well. And I can enjoy it without needing it to dull my pain. And I can sit here in this public sharing and love my friends and neighbor in this very buddy medium Man, you know what? You Christians are sick. How does Festus say it? You guys are out of your mind. Everything can't give glory to God. Can it? Yes, it can. And it does. And it should. Right? Uh, the gospel is so in your mind, it makes you, those of you who are even very quiet, think about taking over the world for Christ. All right. I had and still have some real problems with Tim Tebow stuff. Maybe I should stay away from this, but I'm not. All the John 3.16, Philippians 4.13 things. On. People don't read that. They don't know what's in the Bible, but John 3.16. People are walking around for years at the basketball, football games with that big sign, and a lot of people hadn't read it. Some have. Maybe some got saved. I don't know. But the little eye thing, just put the black eye thing on. You don't need the scriptures on there. And all the kneeling is so evangelical and loud and published and produced and slick. And that's just not me. And it makes me, feel, it makes me feel like it's overdone. I'm embarrassed and even believing that it cheapens the faith. 
You know? But I realized something. <laughs> that is what the world, or at least part of what the world in the life of a high-profile athlete is. Not all athletes, but some. And just maybe he is as a mainstream person, a mainstream profession for private motivations, doing his faith as critical to his relationship with God and the public profession he is in, the expectations it calls him to. And it opens him to criticism from outside and inside the faith from people like me. Man, Pastor Georgia, we were criticizing people real bad in the office. Sorry, I'll put you out there. Um, you talked about the public sin, Sharon. And um, I was like, so, Pastor Giorgio, would you rather Springer go on a date with uh, Tim Depot or Ben Roethlisberger? Tim, go on, Mom. He can win a Philippian 413 all day. Hey, look, I, I'm like Springer's uncle. He go out with Tim all day. Go on, Tim. Go on, we for you, bruh. We for you. I mean, like Paul here, bound to be a public spectacle. His own heart reasons can be checked personally with someone. I'm sure that should be done. Who is close or kind of whatever. But understand, even if you're quiet doing your day-to-day -day thing, you have no idea how criticized your way of life may be. The quiet way you just do your job and go home every day and change to the ministry of your family. Some of you women are thought of as oppressed, unliberated cows on one side and neglectful job chasers over family on the next. When truthfully, you are exercising your faith in Jesus in the public life of your family. Some of you have made all sorts of choices thanks to the word in Jesus that are critical to your loving God and neighbor and your family and will be seen and treated like a fool. And when asked about it, tell them in your way. Now let the church get off on this a lot about sharing your faith because we ain't about to, we, we don't do the track stuff. We don't send you out on the streets of Noda. But you are in chains. Did you know that? In this world as one who is privately chained, owned by God for a reason, and that is to be able to go mainstream while still being attached, shackled with the freedom of the gospel to publicly share it, to live and be mainstream with the private gospel for the salvation of all who hear and receive it. You see, the chains that Paul wore were not the chains of being a slave to the world. They might have thought those were their chains on him. But as one privately owned and bought by Jesus, he was chained so he could be dragged and carried along in and with this world to be a light, to live the truth, to be chained to the scriptures and to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus himself was chained like a rebel to the word and to this world to free us to not have to wear his chains, the chains of sin, but to wear the chains of a gospel rebel. Which means the world does not own you, believers, or control you and have ultimate power over you that you can swim in the mainstream waters real deep without being drowned or lost because God can pull you up at any moment and even able to go deep and reach out to others because you are chained to God's love and good purpose in Christ. And like the apostle here, the church and its people will be paraded around the world looking like slaves, looking like people chained up but called to give the message, to share it as those in the public for the salvation of all. Close with this. I don't know how this illustration is going to work. 
When I think about chains, I think about Mr. T. That brother got a lot of chains. Not the kind Paul wore, the kind we all wore in the 80s. Herringbone, thick. Does yours say 14K or 16K? Mine say 24. Ooh. Is it plated or is it real? You know, all that kind of stuff. Well, I went on Wikipedia. Mr. T is what we would call a rebel figure. The mohawk, the muscles, and the chains. Well, I found on Wikipedia that Mr. T was a bouncer in a nightclub, and people would leave behind their jewelry, their chains. Tells you what kind of nightclub it was. How are you going to leave your chains? It's in my way. I got a drink. I mean, anyway, so... And he would wear the jewelry that folks could come and get back what was lost without having to go back in the club. They would find him. Oh, this yours? Okay, here you go. And wearing someone else's chains just became a part of his public persona. The Lord calls us like he did himself for us to wear the chains of a privately owned loyal to him in the scriptures but doing so as part of our public, easily criticized and recognized for those chains persona. So that the world may come and find salvation through Christ from those who are in chains. Rebel religion. 